Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Al Sesson. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. Our text this morning will be John chapter 13. And we are going to go like a reporter inside that last meal and maybe glean some things uh, that happened there that we don't always see. Part of the uh, motivation for this message is on my wife's sweatshirt. Uh, I asked her to wear it this morning. I'm going to ask Joanna to read it really loudly so everyone can hear. Go ahead. You can't throw stones while washing feet. Thank you, April. Thank you, Joanna. Praise the Lord. Uh, This morning, I'm going to preach a message that I've titled, Stinky Feet. (laughs) This biblical account of the Last Supper is found in all four of the Gospels. uh, But I'm going to be reading from John chapter 13, and we're going to just share things as we go, okay? Verse number one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I really liked that. I liked the fact that Jesus loved his disciples, not just through the good, But he loved them right to the end. In the New Living, it says, He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Do you know you and I have the same promise? In Hebrews, it says that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This Jesus that you serve, that you love, will never abandon you. When... When you get to the end of your rope and all you can do is hang on, you're not alone. He'll be there and he'll put more strength in your hand. I said he'll put more strength in your hand so that you can hold on a little longer. You're never alone. Verse 2, in supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. You know, when I read this, I was wondering, what does this mean? Does it mean that the devil made Judas betray the Lord? Can the devil make us sin? Flip Wilson used to say, and if you're not 50, you don't know who Flip Wilson is, but Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But I I want to encourage the church this morning and remind you that the devil can never make you do it. Are you there? The devil is a liar and the father of lies. And so what the devil can do is lie to you. In fact, he can never tell the truth. It may sound like the truth. It may be 95% truth, but there'll be a lie in there somewhere because he is a liar. So what is it that the devil can do? Well, In James chapter 1, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which is full grown, brings forth death. So what, how are 
our desires linked up with what the devil does. Judas had allowed his desire for money. He held the purse. And Grammy, he had allowed his desire for money to build a stronghold in his life. To, there was so much in there uh, that it, it became out of whack. And so the enemy reached in and used that unhealthy desire to tempt Judas. And for 30 pieces of silver, he actually betrayed his master. Jesus talked about that in the next chapter, chapter 14 of John. And he talked about when the devil came to tempt him. This is what he said. The ruler of this dark world is coming, but he has no power over me. Hold on. Because he has nothing to use against me. The devil had no power over Jesus because... There were no strongholds inside of his heart that the devil could pull from, that the devil could use as an inroad. You know what was in Jesus? The Word. You remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? Uh, the devil tried to use the Word against him, but he knew the truth of the Word. He knew the authentic, so he wasn't buying the counterfeit. And every time that the devil said, do this, you know what Jesus' response was? It is written. You know, we need to know the word of God so well that even if the devil comes as an angel of light, we can recognize who he is and we can recognize the spirit that he's in. You and I have to guard our hearts. We're not a church that preaches you know, clothesline, legalism. Uh, I mean, if the Bible says thou shalt, then thou shalt. If the Bible says thou shalt not, you notice the King James thing I'm saying, then thou shalt not. Uh, we don't compromise, nor do we make excuses or apologize for the word of God. Amen. But beyond that, all of the other religious rules and so on that groups, we're not really into that. We believe that uh, if you're really busy doing the do's, then you don't have to worry about the don'ts too much. But what we do need to do is be careful what we lay in. I sang this in the first service, a Sunday school song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little ears, what you... We have to be careful what we let in. Why? Because if we let the wrong stuff in and it builds a fortress, a stronghold, then when the enemy comes, he has something to grab onto. So I'm not going to go down that road and preach all of that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Once we allow it in, it becomes a thing. Hello? I don't want it to be a thing, and neither do you. So how about we don't let it in at all? Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. I, I really like that verse. Jesus knew he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father. He was very confident 
in his identity. Do you know that God wants us to live in that same confidence? He wants us to be confident who we are. And the enemy tries to do exactly the opposite. One of the lies he'll tell everybody is you're nobody. Or you're still who you used to be before Jesus, B.C., before Christ. And we need to remember that God has ordained that we serve him in confidence. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. I like the word authority. Amen? Uh, I did some police work for a few years. And it's amazing wearing the uniform and the badge that uh, I could walk out into the street, put my hand up, and the traffic stopped. 18 wheelers would stop. Now, even in my prime, I couldn't stop an 18-wheeler. Uh, I mean, there's some buff guys in here, but guess what, guys? No, ain't nobody stopping an 18-wheeler. You know why they stopped? Because of the authority that I represented. Oh, hallelujah. Shatobokurata. When you and I, when we speak in Jesus' name, the enemy has to take notice, not because we're buff, not because we're all that in a slice of bread, but he takes notice because we belong to Jesus. Amen? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. John chapter 14, most assuredly, I say unto you, Jesus is speaking this. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. Wow. Now, do you know that wasn't just given to pastors? That's not just for some lofty uh, position. It's for every single believer. Can you say amen? You and I have power, we have authority, and we're supposed to do everything that he did. Now, when we talk about confidence, sometimes people mix it up with arrogance. Arrogance and confidence are not the same thing. In fact, the definition of arrogance is having an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities thinking that you're all that. But confidence, listen to the definition, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone else or something else. Firm trust in another. That's what confidence is. <laughs> Woo! Not in myself. Amen? I said not in myself, but I can rely on Jesus. I have confidence in him. I, I know that if Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Are you there? Amen? I believe that everything that he said he'd do, he's either already done or he's going to do it someday. Amen? Glory to God. That's confidence. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You may not feel like you're a new creation, but if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the Word of God says that you're brand new, that you're a new creation. Can you say amen? Praise God. You may not feel like it. When you look in the mirror, you see still 
the imperfections that were there before, but your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and your past has been rewritten. And every sin, every mistake, it's all gone because of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Paul said to Timothy, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My confidence is in him. Amen? Not in me. You know, I'm 39, but I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> Why are you laughing? In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, I can do all things because I'm so buff, because I'm so smart, because I no, it, I isn't in there at all. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Praise God. Confidence. Even when we pray, Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to speak to those that are watching by live stream, the Lord just said to me to just tell you that that prayer that we prayed was for you too. You're part of our service, whether you're here in person or not, and you trust God for that healing, and it's going to happen to you as well. And when it does, please uh, send us a message and let us know that God touched you during this service. Can everybody say amen about that? In verse 4, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had girded himself with. Walking the filthy roads of Israel in that century, wearing just sandals or nothing at all, made it imperative that when you entered somebody's home, you needed to wash your feet before you walked around. It was an expected part of hospitality. If you were invited to the Sesson home or to the Arroyo home, uh, there would be a servant there, usually the lowest person on the totem pole, the one with the least seniority, and their job would be to get a basin and a towel and wash your feet. Why? Well, because there were no Fords or Chevys or Dodges or whatever you drive. In that day, you either walked or you owned uh, a camel. Maybe you owned a donkey. Uh, maybe a horse if you were rich, an oxen. But whatever you used to get around, it always left in its wake a pungent pile of, that's it, yeah. You, you know what I was going to say. It wasn't pleasant. And so along with the dirt and the dust and everything else, people actually walked through the poop. Oh, there I said it. And there were stinky feet. And when those stinky feet arrived, it was, <laughs> it was time to clean them. How would you like that job? This morning, uh, there was a woman here, and she told me after the service that she 
uh, sells shoes for a living, owns a shoe store, and uh, she knows all about stinky feet. Uh, I hope there was no camel dung on them, but uh, Jesus chose a particular time, an interesting time. The food had already been served. They already were having the meal. And no one had washed anybody's feet because they had just kind of rented the space and there was no servant there. It, it's funny. It never crossed the disciples' mind to wash each other's feet. I don't know why that is. But Jesus, listening to their conversation, thought, well, now's the time. And in a display of humility and servanthood, he launched into this exercise. Now, let me, I'm going to come back to that, but let me just remind you how privileged these 12 men were to be in that room. The last meal that their Messiah, the Savior of the world, would ever have before he left this planet. The last meal. And they were invited into this intimate setting. All of them, faults and all, Judas was invited. They were all there. What a privilege. Boy, I wish I had that kind of privilege. That's amazing to be invited into close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Oh, guess what? We do. We have. We are. Amen? We have privilege. He chose us. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. 1 Peter chapter 2, in the first service, uh, Lexi made reference to it. It says that we are a chosen generation. We were chosen. You and I were chosen. There's no more veil, folks. Now we are invited into intimate relationship with the Lord. Warts and all, he invites us in. We have privilege. But even with the privilege of access to Jesus, the disciples couldn't remain in the spirit through a whole meal. I mean, they'd spent three plus years living and traveling with Jesus, but during the meal, guess what happened? Raymond's mother showed up. Some of you know what that means. Everybody loves Raymond. And so Marie showed up with her two boys, Robert and Raymond. <laughs> no, I just made that part up. But, and during the meal, she came over to Jesus, got his ear, and said, Master, uh, would you consider letting my boys sit one at your left and the other at the right when you establish your kingdom? Doesn't that sound like a mother, a Jewish mother? <laughs> uh, it sounds like any mother. Uh, and, you know, you, you can read it. He went on to explain to her, you really don't know what you're asking. If you want to sit with me, you've got to suffer with me. And he talked about that. But 
the disciples, it was a, not a big room, and they overheard that conversation, and they got mad. And an argument broke out. This is the when communion was established. I mean, this is a pretty famous, important setting, and they're arguing over who is the greatest. I want to be the best. I want to be great. And they were arguing and arguing. It says the dispute broke out among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Jesus told them on their way there, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I will be arrested, and I will be scourged, and, and I will be crucified, and then I will be resurrected. He told them. They knew, or should have known, but they're arguing about who's the best. Who's the best? We, we talk about that a lot when we talk about fishing, but the guys all know <clears throat> who the best is. And Jesus, you know, why didn't he just throw his hands up? See, I can do that without pain. Why didn't he just throw his hands up and say, guys, get out of here. I'm going to get 12 more. You, you guys just missed. The, you didn't make the cut. He didn't do it, though. What he did was take off his robe, get a basin, fill it with water, and start washing feet. And then he said to them in verse 26, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Help us as a church not to miss that. There's nothing wrong with reaching for greatness. In fact, the Bible teaches that we should bring our best gift to the Lord. Uh, I said this in the first service, and I mean it with all my heart. Uh, I believe that we have a phenomenal, great worship team. Do you believe that? I, they, they work hard, they, they rehearse, you know, they're, they're pretty much all volunteer. They give time and effort and money and uh, all of this so that we are led into worship every service by great singers and great musicians. Don't, don't swing too far and think, well, I'll just wing it. Uh, because it's only for God. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we should just wing it for God. I, I think we should, we have an opportunity, a humbling opportunity like I do right now, to be on a platform and to talk about God and to preach his word. Uh, I believe it deserves all the hours and more that I put in. Amen? Uh, whatever we do. A servant. A servant, if we want to be great, Helen Keller said, I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. The world is not moved along only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. Now, I, I know that you see Pastor Jamie and Pastor Tim and Pastor Dustin and myself and others up front. You see the worship team, you know, and sometimes, sometimes we might think, well, these are the guys and girls that uh, they're, they're the ones that are really moving this thing along. That's why the church is, 
is, is growing. Thank God for the heroes. Now, I believe in giving honor to whom honor is due, but listen to me. No church grows based on a handful of people that have a ministry that's up front. The churches happen. Ministries grow. Cities get transformed by a corporate effort. Everybody doing their part. Can you say amen? By grandmothers and grandfathers praying in closets. By, by people maintaining the building. By sweeping and shoveling in the winter. Uh, by the way, they... Never mind. I'm not going to talk about that. But... <laughs> I don't want to lose you, but uh, it's everybody. It's all of us corporately. One can chase a 1,000. Two can put 10,000 to flight. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. A servant is somebody that's devoted to helping others to the needs of others, somebody that is willing to set aside their own comfort, even though it's awkward, even though their feet are stinky, even though it's uncomfortable. My wife and I, for years uh, before we came to this church, we had an opportunity to pick up some, some girls and bring them to church. Uh, you know, I'm not bragging on us. It was an honor, and we filled our little car up, uh, it was out of our way. It was candidly inconvenient at times. Uh, but they're so sweet. And the Lord let me know. I I'd like to tell you that every Sunday I looked forward to it. I just couldn't wait to drive that extra 30 minutes. You know. But that would be a lie. Because uh, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. But I'm so glad we did it. We did it until the Lord moved us to Kingdom Life Church. And I hope somebody's doing it to this day. Doing things that are inconvenient. When he had washed their feet and he took his garments back, I'm almost done. He said an interesting thing to them. He said, now, do you know what I just did? Well, duh. You just washed our feet. And I know in there there's a... A little bit of back and forth with Peter. That's for another message. Uh, I wanted to focus on this. Uh, but that's not what he meant. Obviously, he washed their feet. But he wanted them to see something else. Anybody here like me a fan of Lion King? You remember in Lion King where the monkey, I can't remember his name, said, Look harder. When he was looking at his reflection, look harder. Well, I believe Jesus wants us to look harder. We are, we are all in the flesh. We have so many voices. Even in a service, things are happening. Things are being said. And it's too easy sometimes to just uh, take the surface meaning. And the Holy Spirit is saying, look harder. Look deeper. We're a church that believes in the prophetic. Look beyond. And Jesus was saying, I'm not just showing you what soap to use or which linen cloth is best. I'm teaching you a lesson. Look 
to see in the Spirit. We must be in the Spirit. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This humble act of foot washing, it was prophetic for about what Jesus was doing and where he was headed. Beth, you can come to the keyboard. Remind me that I'm getting done. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Hmm. It's in your Bible too. Verse 13, 14. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Now, it's interesting, even humorous to me, that the same words that were used for communion, which has become a sacrament in every religion, every Christian group practices communion. Crack, eat a cracker, drink the juice, the body, blood of Jesus. But there's not a lot of foot washing. Anyone here ever been to a service where foot washing happened? Just put your hand up. A few of us. I have. In fact, I've done it. But for lack of time, let me just say, I don't think he's talking just about the actual foot washing. I think he's talking more about servanthood. Back in his day, Foot washing was necessary. Not much need. Now, not in Western countries like ours to wash each other's feet. In fact, it might not be appropriate to do that. I was thinking of washing Tim's feet, but I had second thoughts. <laughs> I didn't want him to think I was weird. But So, I wonder... James, I wonder what a 21st century equivalent is. Think about it, just as we close. Because it's not the action as much as it is the attitude of humility. Jesus considers us great if we serve each other. Now, I'm preaching to a church where there's a lot of serving one another. And... But, but I want, buckle in, I want to say something. We can do better. Let me say it over here, too. I don't want them to think I'm picking on. I said we can do better. Serving each other, yes. Serving our communities. I, I feel this heart. You want to fill the empty seats? There's not a lot of them I know. You want to get to where we have to have more services or bigger? Serve one another. Serve the community. And don't just serve the showered feet. Are you there? Serve the stinky feet. If I had time, I'd tell you about just recently picking somebody up and taking them from a shelter so they could, because the church was buying them a ticket so they could get back home. And after the ride in my truck, there and back, uh, took about three days of the windows open and some Febreze. It won't be pleasant all the time. Are you there? It will be uncomfortable. But my God, 
Look what Jesus did for us. Amen? We can't serve him unless we serve each other. It's not always convenient. It will cost something. It won't always be appreciated. Have you ever served? I know you have. Served somebody, and instead of getting a thank you, you got a dagger in the back, or you got some weird thing that somebody was thinking something weird. I'm so glad Grammy Kay's here, and she won't like it. I don't know if I've ever met anybody with more of a servant's heart than Kay Wrigley. But I promise you, if I gave her this mic, she wouldn't do it, but she could. Talk about times when she's done her best to give and to serve. And her reward was a slap in the face or a knife in her back. It happens. But look at the reward that Jesus got. Look at how he was treated. Why should we wash feet? Bill Johnson, you ever heard of him? He said, when you wash someone's feet, you find out why they walk the way that they do. The real test of the saint is not preaching the gospel, Oswald Chambers said, but washing disciples' feet. That is, doing the things that do not count in the actual estimate of men, but count everything in the estimate of God. pretty hard to let walls divide us. Thank God for that song we sang. Tear down the walls. Lord, tear down the walls. You know how the walls come down? When we serve each other. Amen? Could we stand together?